You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. John chapter 21. John chapter 21, and we'll be beginning in verse 1, but John chapter 21. And I would like to take a moment while you're doing that to be a little bit transparent in that uh, I had my very first weird preacher moment in uh, the week leading up to this. And, and I've had conversations with people where they say, you know, uh, you know, that the preachers will get up in the pulpit and I hear them say, well, I had, I had something prepared to do, but, you know, the Lord, the Lord changed what I was supposed to do last minute. And, you know, praise the Lord, this is what I've got and it's worked out. And I thought, that's never happened to me before. And sure enough, it did. Come Monday, I mean, I had, I had put all this, all this work last week into this sermon that was pretty much done, and I sat down on my notes on Monday to go over it and make sure that I didn't have anything left to do, and the more that I looked at the notes, I thought, I'm not supposed to do this. And I thought, well, God, it's Monday. <laughs> I don't really have anything else ready. He said, no, you're not doing this, but he, he laid this on my heart, and, and I really hope that this is going to be a blessing and encouragement to you because I'm very confident that this is what he has for me to preach to you this evening. Uh, So if you would all stand, let's read John chapter 21, starting in verse number one. It says, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the sea of Tiberias, and was on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples. And Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, we also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. And so uh, we're actually going to skip over to uh, verse number 7. Jesus kind of encounters them, and they they do some fishing. Verse number 7, Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and by that it doesn't mean he was fully naked. He he had clothes on, but uh, he got a cloak cloak about him just to cover cover up his his undergarments, and, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were, 200 cubits dragging the net with fishes. And again, skipping down to to verse number 12, Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine, and none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples. After that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus saith unto Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. 
This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, again, I do appreciate the opportunity to preach tonight. I, I don't plan to take very long uh, because what's been laid on my heart is something I hope will be a help to someone tonight who is in need of, of some hope and some encouragement. It's not, it's not some complicated truth I hope to get into. You know, we can all be a little discouraged at times. I think we can agree. In fact, there's times we can all be very discouraged, and I think that especially happens when we fail. We find ourselves in the midst of failure. And, and whether it's from the shame of known failures or, or beating ourselves up over, over private failures, we can, we can hinder our own forward progress if we continue to hang, hang weights like that on our shoulders. But things like that can be dealt with. It, it'll be in a little bit of a different format than I usually do it or how I usually break down thoughts simply because the truth is, is almost clearly evident in the passage itself and I, I won't look to overcomplicate anything. And while there's so much depth in this passage, but I think keeping the truth simple will in some ways be just as profitable. Tonight we're going to look at this particular example in John chapter 21 of the discouragement of failure and the response that Jesus has for our shortcomings. And again, I hope that will be a blessing to you tonight. So this passage here introduces us to a group of men who have been deeply discouraged by their past failures, namely that of Simon Peter. And, and some of you probably know this about me. I like, I like vivid pictures. I like stories. And I like context. And I like not only being able to see something in my mind, but, but to experience it so much from the surrounding information that it can almost feels like I could have been there. And Peter is deeply discouraged because of everything leading up to this moment, I, I, I would like to take some time to maybe, to maybe put yourself in his emotional position and not just, you know, his physical position. You know, at the very beginning, he had left his livelihood to follow the Lord. and He, he dropped his net and forsook everything to be with Jesus. He'd been with Jesus to see so many of the great miracles that he'd done, whether that's, that's feeding people or hearing people, healing people or casting out demons. He, he, he'd heard the wisdom and the power that Jesus spoke with. You know, he'd so clearly explain the scriptures to them time and time again. And there were even those moments that are rather amusing to go back and read when, when the religious elite and the Pharisees and the Sadducees try to corner Jesus with this logical problem and, and he knows the mind of God so well that he just absolutely leaves them speechless in those moments. They'd been there. They'd seen all of that. And Peter himself had had his own unique moments with Jesus. He was among the first of the disciples to proclaim that Jesus was the very Son of God. He was among Jesus' inner circle, even within the group of disciples. He had briefly walked upon the water at Jesus' word. He had watched Jesus calm a storm and had even raised the dead back to life. He'd even claimed in some of his last moments with Jesus that if all others forsook him, that Peter himself would not. Jesus calmly told him otherwise, that he would deny him before the morning, but Peter's self-confidence in his dedication to the Lord was unwavering. But then that night the soldiers came. And while he attempted to stay true to his word at first by drawing his sword when it seemed as though it was Jesus' intent to peacefully comply with the situation that was unfolding before his very eyes, Peter succumbed to the fear and he fled along with everybody else. From the shadows, he, he watched his master get bound and arrested. Following from a distance, he watched the series of interrogations begin. And at each location, be it, be it the high priest's house or the, the house of Caiaphas, he watched them spit on Jesus and revile him. 
And just as he thought he could maybe still fulfill his promise by observing everything unfold until the end from a distance, he was spotted by a little girl. He was called out. You, you were with him too, weren't you? Peter denied it. To protect himself, he, he gave in to the temptation to, to just lay low. But, but it was just to get this girl off his back. It wasn't anything significant. And so, Soon another calls him out, a man this time. And the word of a man in that time period was definitely carried a lot more weight than that of some little girl. And so, again, gripped by fear, Peter denies having even known Jesus. It says in Matthew and Luke that the third man to confront Peter needed not even question him. It was so evident by his face, his demeanor, and even the way that he talked that this man had been with Jesus. And in, and in the gospel of, in Matthew 26, it says, as if, as if in a fit of, of rage and anger, he begins to swear and curse and be angry to, to absolutely deny Jesus. And, and no sooner had those words left his mouth did, did the cock crow, and, and he remembered exactly what Jesus had told him would happen. The book of Luke tells us at that very moment as well that Jesus, in the middle of his own, of his own difficulties and his own series of interrogations and his, his railing accusations, again, he takes that moment to turn around and looks Peter directly in the face. And, and, that, and at that moment, it really all sinks in for Peter. Peter had completely turned his back upon not only his master, but his friend when he needed it the most. And what's worse is that Jesus knew it already. He saw it in his face. It says he left that place and wept bitterly. Bitterly is a very, very strong word used to describe that. And I think it very clearly indicates his remorse and guilt over, over what had just happened. You know, Peter had failed. And the crushing weight of this denial didn't ease much when he watched Jesus be crucified. He sat for three days, not only wounded by the loss, but I'm sure at the same time racked with guilt by the failure. And in spite of everything up until this point, I'm sure when it came, came to a moment like this, Peter never imagined himself to find himself in this position. Even after the Lord rose again, Peter gets up and he runs and, and he sees the empty tomb and, and he hears people tell him that the Lord's alive. And he, he was in the room when, when Jesus appears in the midst of the disciples and, and sees that exchange between Jesus and Thomas. But we don't see much exclusive interaction between the two like there once had been. I can't say it for certain, but were I in that position, I think maybe in my own mind I can perhaps imagine the thoughts that go through Peter's mind in those moments afterwards when, when Jesus was there and he can't help but think as Jesus is, as giving, is giving instruction and words of encouragement to his disciples saying, I wonder if I blew it. Things, things aren't the way that they used to be. Is, is Jesus done with me? I wouldn't blame him. I mean, after all, I... I did forsake him in front of absolutely everybody. And this passage here is, is a defining moment for Peter. So, so a few pages back, we have the accounts of this greatest failure that we've spent a couple of moments looking at. And then yet if we turn to the right a couple of pages and go to the book of Acts, we see Peter's greatest successes at the day of Pentecost and how he preaches with power and, and with authority and he sees thousands saved as a result of that. And it's in between these two events, seemingly on polar opposite ends of the spectrum, lies this moment right here. And, and we find Peter in this position to determine the overall outcome of the rest of his life. The difficulty of the situation is not that, that Peter struggles to, to alter his perception of, of some off-handled view that he has of God or, or an impression that he has of God's action and God's character, but rather Peter is in the position of struggling with disappointment in himself and his failures. 
He no longer feels adequate to be the upfront leader of the disciples. He struggles with knowing the depth of his own weakness, and he feels perhaps there's no way he can be useful to Jesus now. I think because all these things that could have been running through his mind, Peter struggled with defaulting in the midst of his failure. In, in verse number three, we aren't given much of a reason behind why he does it, but we see that Peter says to the others, I, I go a fishing. This is precisely what he was doing when Jesus found him in the first place. He, he needed to be restored, and, and in some ways I believe this is kind of what Peter was looking for. Like, maybe, maybe if I go back to my roots, if I go back to where I know Jesus can find me, then, then maybe something will come up. And it's here where Jesus meets him once again, and, and Jesus meets him where he's at to turn things around. So in the primary portion of the passage, Jesus, Jesus desires here to restore Peter. We see that. After, after the ordeal where, where he tells them to cast the net on the other side with the fishes and they, they can't pull it up just from the sheer quantity of them, it's determined among the disciples with Peter that it is in fact Jesus who waits for them on the shore again. And Peter, having, having acknowledged his failure, I'm sure he rushes to Jesus because he, he's anxious to see him again. This will be the first really intimate interaction that they've had since, since Jesus has, has risen, and I believe he sincerely wanted to make things right, but, but maybe as he was going there, he struggled in his mind wondering, how? How am I going to make things right here? Jesus greets them with the meal he's prepared. However, it seems that in verse 15, not one word was spoken the whole time. It, it's awkward. You know, the first intimate they really have with Jesus since before his death, and it's, it's plagued by a deafening silence. I'm sure in everyone's mind they're waiting for the inevitable, you know, the questions, the disappointment. And, and why are you out here? I told you to wait for me. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure they, they maybe had these thoughts in mind, but Jesus is the first one to move to address the issue in, in verse number 15. And Jesus knows that it, it's not possible for Peter to become who he intends for him to be without Peter overcoming the weight of his failure. Peter had lived with the guilt this whole time. You know, he had abandoned Jesus, and Jesus knew that Peter needed not at this point to necessarily be rebuked, but rather he needed to be restored. Jesus had no desire in this exchange to take advantage of the situation, to, to grind Peter's face in the dirt while he's at his lowest point in order to make sure that he learns the full extent of this failure. It's not like, Peter, are you sorry? Because I sure hope you are. Jesus doesn't take advantage of that situation. But Jesus also understands that Peter needs to be taken through the failure in order to move forward. And it's the beautiful process by which Jesus restores Peter that ought to be the strong source of encouragement tonight. In verse number 15, Jesus asked Peter the first question in front of all the others. Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Well, of course he does. You know, under normal circumstances, the Peter that we all know up until this point would have jumped up and said, of course I do. I'd tell absolutely everyone in the world to their face, I love you more than they do. But can he now? Notice Peter's humility in his reply, Yea, Lord, thou, thou knowest that I love thee. But it's interesting enough that he really doesn't answer the question that Jesus asked. And Jesus asked, Do you love me more than these? He, he doesn't brashly claim to be better than he is. He has that humility in his reply. He doesn't claim to love Jesus more than his actions could prove. Jesus tells Peter, Then feed my lambs, and, and reminds Peter that, that even so, he still intends for Peter to serve a purpose. The process gets repeated twice more, and it stings. It stings a lot. You know, each time Jesus asks this question, Simon, son of Jonas, 
lovest thou me? It recalls to his mind the look on Jesus' face when they made eye contact right after he denied him the third time. His face probably burned with shame by this third time because it says in verse 17 that Peter's grieved. And he insists to Jesus that he does indeed really love him. And the final character development that we see in Peter here is that he does not cite his own merits to back up this claim, but rather he claims that his love for Jesus is validated by the fact that it's Jesus who knows all things. Jesus is God. Through this process, Jesus brings Peter to a point that Peter recognizes that it's not only by working around his own failures that he has to overcome them, but it's actually by Jesus taking him through them that that he's going to come out again restored and and re-equipped to serve. And Peter's failures here did not take Jesus by surprise. See, Jesus, Jesus didn't have to adjust his plan for Peter in order to compensate for the failure on Peter's part. You know, if Jesus knew that Peter loved him, because Jesus knew all things, then, then we can almost know that Peter's acknowledging, Jesus, you knew I was going to mess up anyway. But so, so it's not how Peter avoids his failures that allows Jesus to use him, but rather how he responds to his failures and comes through them on the other side that's going to render him to be useful to Jesus in the future. And things come full circle at the end of verse 19. Whole again, Jesus tells Peter exactly the same thing that he told him the first time. Nothing more, nothing less, and that's follow me. And so this, this restoration process can, can really be broken down quite simply. Like I said before, Jesus, Jesus sought to restore Peter. His intent was to restore him and not to put him down further. Peter was doing a, a great job beating himself up at that point, as it were, to be quite honest. And, and I'm sure in some ways Peter was relieved by the grace and mercy that he experienced within Jesus' restoration process. And it's here we find that Jesus restored Peter by reestablishing Peter's love and reaffirming Peter's purpose instead of reliving Peter's failures. There there were no accusations on Jesus' part. There There was nothing from Jesus that Again, that browbeat Peter with that, man, I hope you're sorry because you better be and you're never going to live this down. Rather, the fault was addressed on Jesus' part by reconciling the failure of the past with an opportunity to love him in the present. Each denial wasn't relived, instead it was replaced. See, Peter in that moment finally had to decide whether or not he would be the one to move forward. He didn't allow his failure to follow Jesus then affect his decision to follow Jesus, then affect his desire to follow Jesus later. When Peter made it right with Jesus, then Peter had to make it right with himself. And that then allows Peter to become the man who we all know him to be in the later chapters of Acts and the man who Jesus desired for him to be. But there's also a third party involved that really really doesn't get mentioned as much that I do want to address because I think it has an important part in this whole restoration process. And that's the part of the disciples. It does mention that they're there. They are there. They're present. Silent the whole time, but they are there. They they knew just as well as Peter did probably what Peter had done. At this point, I'm sure they knew. But, But imagine for a moment how difficult it would have been Maybe even after the exchange that Peter and Jesus have where where Jesus restores Peter to that place of being suitable for service, but then it's the disciples who turn around after Jesus leaves and say, nope. Hey, you remember, you remember your failure back then? You messed up big time, buddy, and I'm not sure you're qualified to lead us anymore. Could you have imagined how much would have been lost had the disciples chosen to react that way? Peter, 
they, they, weren't, they, weren't the, they weren't the judge of that. And, and clearly that wasn't the case here. I, I just bring that, you know, as food for thought. You know, it would seem that the disciples at this point actually acknowledged their own failures when, when Peter was being confronted with his. And, and, and in that, that allows them to, to let Peter complete this journey of restoration with Jesus. And so for an application tonight, I mean, to be honest, I think it would seem pretty straightforward. You know, we've all experienced our own sets of failures, big and small, the, the known and the unknown, the short-term and the long-term. And, and quite frankly, I really don't think I need to name a list of, of the things that float around in each and every one of our minds that eats us alive as we lay in bed at night and we can't sleep. You know, whether it was, whether it was one, a one-time thing or, or we find ourselves failing again and again and again, you know, what, what it does to us internally, realistically, is just about the same, isn't it? That there can be times when, when we do our best to take things to God because we've all heard 1 John 1, 9. I mean, Pastor preached 1 John in his series. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And we can, we can guarantee ourselves in our mind the forgiveness on God's part. And, and we do believe that, but, but there can be times where even though we express our remorse and we express our repentance, it seems as though the crushing weight of our failures continues to sit heavy upon our shoulders. And, and we continue to internally beat ourselves up and, and, and constantly ask ourselves if we really are, in fact, capable of being used of God. And then we settle into to somewhat of a slump of mediocrity. The truth is tonight that God is not restricted by your failures. In fact, like Jesus knew Peter's mistakes before he made them, it, it does not take God by surprise when, when we fail. He, he, he hasn't ever needed to, to make adjustments to his plan for you to compensate for the failures on your part. And it should encourage you tonight, if you're sitting here seeking, someone in here may be seeking freedom from the weight of failures that they carry on their shoulders every day. And it should be, it should be an encouragement that, that God isn't interested in making you relive those failures. You know, and, and bring them to mind over and over again to make sure that you learn your lesson No. Instead, he desires to take you and put you in a restoration process. It does sting a little. It stung for Peter quite a bit. There will be things along the way that bring up the sting of this failure, but, but what he's designed in this process to, to happen is that the, these stings and, and reminders of our failure are always accompanied in the present by a moment to express our love for him. When Jesus, what Jesus asked of Peter in the end really didn't change at all. At the beginning and at the end, the command remained the same, and that was simply to follow me. Peter's fast failures did not ruin his future opportunities to live a life of service to Jesus, and quite frankly, neither do yours. There's a wonderful process of restoration that God intends to use to restore us to him again. And in spite of our failures, if we can only get over ourselves enough to submit to his process, then, then can, we, can we move ourselves forward. And, and moving over again equally as important as, as reconciling with our own failures is how we deal with the failures of other people that have been brought to our attention. And I think we've all seen how hurt can happen in a church setting where someone makes a mistake or someone makes a failure, but in the aftermath and that person making the steps to get it right, there are the people who take it upon themselves to be the judge of that circumstance and say, no, you are unfit to be restored to where you were. And Imagine if after Jesus left this earth that the disciples turned their backs on Peter out of bitterness over what the Lord had already forgiven him for. 
The truth is that they also recognized in their own way that each of them had equally failed the Lord in a similar way. And the grace which they understood to be shown to them allowed them to return that in kind to each other. Our responsibility to help one another move past their failures is as equally important as each of us moving past our own. That's the restoration process. So tonight, like I said, it wasn't a long message because the principle, I think, is very clear and self-explanatory, but I really hope that you are encouraged this evening to move forward. There was an important moment when Peter repented of his failure, but afterward he allowed himself to continue bearing the burden of it when, when all he needed was the restoration process afforded to him by Jesus. If, if, you, if tonight you feel weighed down, perhaps, by the regret of, of lingering failures and, and there's a nagging thought in the back of your mind that, that perhaps, you know, maybe Jesus doesn't have any interest in using me anymore. Well, well the truth is, is that he very much intends to see you become who he designed you to be. The deciding factor then is whether or not you allow yourself to experience the grace and completion that comes through this restoration process. So we'd all just bow our head and close our eyes. I'd like to just close us out in prayer tonight. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.